What wisdom is higher than the wisdom of God? There is none. There is none higher than the wisdom of God. Therefore, when you actually study and spend time reading God's word, reading scripture daily, it is a living text. It's not just a book. It's not something that a man wrote down. It is ancient scripture that is breathed inspiration from the Spirit of God. And you can only come to know this yourself when you're actually reading the Word of God. Because as you're even hearing the words, as you're processing the words, a literal shift happens within you. The words change you. Because it is God speaking directly to you. It's magical. It truly is. So in this episode, I want to quote directly from scripture to you today and, and have my own commentary to it. But in, in you actually just hearing the words of God, it can literally transform you from within. And it does. Uh, that's what it means when it's said that God gives you a new mind and a new heart. He will replace your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Only God can do this. And guys, the world is so spiritually void right now and I know many people are seeking and that's beautiful. I'm glad to see so many people are seeking. I'm glad to see how many people are through all the destruction and desperation of everything terrible that's going on in the world. So many people are asking the right fundamental questions. Like what is the point? What is the purpose of all this? Where is humanity headed? You know, how are we not happier and healthier, even though the world has supposedly progressed? They're the right questions. The only thing is that there is an infinite amount of false roads one can go down and stumble in the darkness. There is only one direct, straight and narrow path to the truth, the truth of God, the one true God. There are not multiple gods, there are multiple deities and false idols. There are millions of them, actually. And because they've been around quite literally since the beginning of time, that's where many people assume or come to the conclusion that they also must be true because they've been around for so long. But it's not the case. It's the case that since we have had immorality, iniquity, you know, the, the negative sin of man, of humanity, enter into the world. Humans have had all of these false idols. They have had false deities. They have had false gods. And that's a long time, thousands of years. So over thousands of years, that has, of course, become people's traditions and cultures and various other just ideologies or belief systems or what even intellectuals like to call today, you know, mythology. Like everything is a myth. No, it's not. And even saying the word story has been so misconstrued now because a story means like to tell a story about a past account. Like you can say, let me tell you a story about what happened to me in, you know, when I went to Norway. <laughs> That's not a fairy tale. That's me telling you a historical, factual account. Whereas today, story through entertainment, the Hollywood industry and all the rest of it has just turned it into 
for you to believe that story means made up. It means fairy tale. It means impossible. So that you would rather believe in literal fairy tales than in what is true. Okay? And the word of God is true. The word of God is true. Scripture is true. And when you study scripture every day, when you get yourself a physical Bible and you read all 66 books from Genesis to Revelation, you don't just read the end, you don't just read one quote, you don't just read one or two pages and then be like, aha, I knew I was right about this or that. No, you've got to read it with an open heart and curiosity, intellectually, with skepticism, not with blind belief, and also not with complete disregard. You go into it like you would reading any personal development book, for example, or, or perhaps you know you people are happy to read fairy tale stories again, and they seem to be, they seem to immerse themselves in the world of the fairy tale. But God forbid that they take for true what is actually true, what is written by God Himself. And again, that only begins to make sense for you when you you actually listen to the word of God and you allow him to do the work on your heart and literally transform you. So spending time with God directly and making a relationship with God is a personal endeavor. It doesn't come from you doing mantras. It doesn't come from you repeating a mundane robotic mantra, which again, many different belief systems do this. They think it requires you to do very stringent cultural man-made commands you have to be this place at this time you have to do these bodily movements you have to say and preach these words that are perhaps even in a language you don't understand and then you have to do this and this and this and this and that's what's going to enlighten you quote but none of that has anything to do with you getting to know God why because God is a personal being God is not just an energy field or a nothingness or an everythingness. He is not a universal nothingness or everythingness. Again, it's a very, it doesn't even make sense when you follow the logical conclusion. The most logical conclusion is that he is an actual personal being. And you can only, he'll reveal himself to you personally only when you genuinely want to get to know him, not by you know, crossing your arms like a three-year-old child and saying, well, show yourself to me, God, show me the proof, then I'll believe. No, belief doesn't work like that. Trust doesn't work like that. Faith doesn't work like that. Love doesn't work like that. He is a personal being with characteristic traits. Only a personal being, again, I'm not saying a human being, a personal being, meaning he has character traits he has a personality and his character traits are is what's literally written in scripture. That's how you get to know who he is. That's how you get to know him. And his character traits will show you that he has intelligent, infinite intelligent thoughts because only a being with infinite intelligent thoughts can actually create other personal beings. How can a nothingness create all of the infinite order you see around you, the trees, the birds, the puppies, the kittens, the ocean, the, the sun, the stars, you know, the different temperatures, the perfect ability for fruit to become ripe, that from one moment it's sour turned to sweet. 
Everything is perfectly orchestrated with such immense detail. You cannot look at it and say, that came from just a random explosion or it came from a energy field. No, because that's impersonal. An energy field is impersonal. Only a personal being can create such specific and conscious, intentional matter, intentional effect. He is the cause of all effects that's come into life. So with that, today, for today, I'm going to do more episodes quoting directly out of scripture. But for today, I would like to begin with commentating and elaborating on um, some scripture from the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs, one of the books in the Bible, is the book of King Solomon. Now, why is this book of Proverbs important? Why is there so much wisdom in the book of Proverbs? It's called the wisdom of Solomon. You may have heard this term before. You may have even heard a a quote about it once here or there in your life, but never knew where it even came from. Well, this is where it came came from, because King Solomon was... Uh, alive in the time of around 930 to 990 BC, before Christ, okay? So that's when he lived, about a thousand years before Christ. So a thousand years before the year 2023, literally around 3,000 years ago, okay? And when it came his time, and again, please remember, this is specific to what I'm saying to you now, this is I'm taking an excerpt, right? So everything in context and make sure you do your own study and research. I urge you to. I hope that this is going to inspire you to take the time, to have time with God every day, reading his word and in prayer. But that's another topic I can cover on another day. So King Solomon was made king uh, back then after his father, David, who was a very, very, again, also worthy and wise man. And he he was very young when he was made king. And when King Solomon was made king, God came to him, God appeared to him and asked him, what, what, what would you want from me? What shall I give to you? What shall I give thee? Okay. And Solomon said, and I quote, this is from the book of Kings, chapter three, verse six. You have shown me unto your servant, David, my father, great mercy according as he walked before you in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. And you have kept for him this great kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. He's talking about himself. And now, my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go or come in. This is so important. He's humbling himself. Listen, he's been made a king of a very big nation. And he is saying to God, who is telling him, what would you want from me? He's asking, what is your desire? He's humbling himself. And he's not saying, I am this mighty king. He's saying, you've chosen me, but I'm like a little child. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen. A great people, meaning a a huge number of people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. And so here it is in verse nine, his amazing revelation or his fantastic question that he asked God. This is what he asks God for, which when I first read this, I was like, man, yeah, what a smart man. I, I would have so asked for this as well. He says, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, meaning to know justice, 
that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this so great a people, as in such a large group of people? And this was amazing. And this speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this thing. And this is what God replied. Listen to this. This is verse 11. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself a long life, neither have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, therefore, I have done according to thy words. I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like you before you, neither after you shall any arise like unto you. And I have also given you that which you have not asked, both riches and honour, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto you all of your days. And if you will walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as your father David did walk, then I will lengthen your days. That's the end of that praise. Incredible. So this is why the entire book of Proverbs, the wisdom of Solomon, and you will know this when you read it for yourself. I know, I know wisdom when I see it. <laughs> my whole thing or my whole sort of uh, mantra or my whole sort of catchphrase is wisdom in service to the good. Wisdom is everything. Wisdom to know, to discern right from wrong, to discern good from bad, to discern good from evil. And he asked for this. And God was so pleased with him asking for that and not asking for his own pleasures, his own riches, his own desires for his, you know, the life of his enemies, that God gave him the most wisdom to which any man has had until today. And on top of that, he gave him also all worldly things because he was so pleased with that because of what he asked. And it's true. I think it's incredible. I think it's a wonderful lesson. So I wanted to point that out first of all, so you understand why uh, the book of Proverbs is such a profoundly special, special book. And it has so much wisdom in it. Every chapter, I could literally talk for several hours. Okay. Um, so for today, I'm diving into chapter 30. So book of Proverbs, chapter 30. And it's not even the whole chapter, because that would take me hours, literally. But a specific few verses to teach the lesson of today. Okay. So the main point or the main lesson is chapter 30, verse 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. So let me elaborate on, on this chapter, on these verses specifically. The lesson today is about humbling yourself to know that the purpose of life is neither to be rich nor to be poor. So it's not to become rich and famous and have everything and anything in, in excess because it always corrupts people. It always does. And neither to be poor because it makes you also an unlawful person in God's eyes. When I say unlawful, I mean God's law and his statutes and his commandments. If you don't know what they are, you can take my course, Awaken the Leader Within, living in alignment with natural law and divine order. That gives you more than enough information about how to practically live a life in alignment with God, and he will protect you. 
So if you're poor and then you choose to become unlawful by stealing, for example, because you need to eat, then that is also going to ultimately be to your demise. So there is this point of which humbleness brings you actually to a point of perfect peace, where you're allowed to have everything that you actually need, but no more and no less. And here's why. So from from verse 2, chapter 30, verse 2, Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the holy, as in knowledge of God. There's one only one holy, and that is God. Who hath ascended up into heaven, or descended? Who hath gathered the winds in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you could tell. What's amazing about that uh, part there, especially saying what's his name and what's his son's name, is that's actually a prophecy for Jesus. And as I said, this was in 930 to 990 BC. So this was a thousand years before Jesus was born. So that's a thousand years before it's a prophecy of Jesus, which is incredible. And you'll see this throughout the entire Old Testament, but that's wonderful in itself. And here he's explaining again how little we know in in comparison to the wisdom of the one true God. How little do we know? We don't know the knowledge of the holy. How can we understand even how anything is created in nature? Like when you uh, plant a seed, like I'm, for example, right now it's spring and I'm planting seeds in my my balcony. I have those things I created. I've planted lots of different seeds. And overnight, the seeds sprout. It's like out of nowhere. And you come outside and I take a look and all of a sudden you see this little green sprout and you see the, the little head that's growing. And it's just, it's incredible. We don't know this. We don't know how this works and we cannot explain it. Not even science can explain it, no matter how much scientifically people like to sound intellectually superior. Um, on a side note, did you know that all scientific endeavours actually came from religious scholars? from the Bible, from people actually wanting to understand the truths that are given in the Bible about our origins, about all of nature, the creation, which is God's works, which is proof of his existence and and how everything came to be. So we need both. We need God's word, which is the, the scriptures, and we need God's works, which is creation, to help us grow in wisdom and understanding. And from there, that's where science was actually born. That's where scientific method was born. That's where the trivium was born. Knowledge, understanding, wisdom, the learning process. It's all from the Bible. It's amazing, guys. I could, I could go on for ages even just telling you the amount of the amount of stories today that are in Hollywood or that are in books or, or whatever, or even, even various different uh, enterprises and businesses all stem from literal truths and historical accounts in the Bible, which they then created for their own benefit, some kind of extrapolation from it as a storyline that they could create a great, you know, story that makes lots of money. It's amazing. It's amazing. And it's just, it goes, it proves itself over and over and over again. But again, I'll probably do a whole or several episodes on the actual historical, factual evidence of cases and events in the Bible. It's amazing. 
We're not taught this. No one talks about this because we are taught to believe in the erroneous and the literal scientific impossibility that nothing created everything, which is the theory of evolution. But I digress. So how are we to know all of God's holiness and glory and who established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? thou canst tell so this is you in you challenging you to do you know god again do you know him he's not an it he's not an it this is so paramount in your building your relationship to the truth and god i tell you because truth and god are synonymous god is the truth god's word is truth so imagine how much when you're reading scripture it's literally speaking truth to you god's word is so powerful all he had to do was speak and he created every physical thing in existence we see the entire universe everything you see in nature in the creation and every one of us with all of our unique thumbprints and with all of our incredible eyes which are a multitude the dna everything it is a multitude is so complex and it's so profoundly detailed and is so profoundly perfectly created that it can only come from an intelligent being that had conscious thought or has conscious thought but made us with conscious thought with guess what meaning and purpose that's right there's no meaning and purpose in the theory of evolution because it just means hey everything's just some freak show accident and everybody is just an amoeba that came out of the water a slug that started crawling, then flying, then apparently thinking and talking multiple languages and building cities. Give me a break. <laughs> but I'll leave it at that. So the important thing that he's sort of preparing there is for us to understand, again, the humbling point of the wisdom of God is so infinite that when he gives us his wisdom, like in Scripture... Only a fool will decline it. Only a fool will say, no, I don't believe in any of that because man wrote it down. Well, everything that we learn, guys, is from books, is from knowledge, and it's from what's passed down to us from others. All of life is influence. Everyone is influencing one another in any given moment. Human beings do not learn by running around in a field naked by themselves. That's not intelligence. Human beings have something very special. We have a soul connected to higher intelligence conscience where we have the ability to discern, think rationally and make critical decisions and learn, read, write, speak multiple languages free will to make decisions concerning the future not just present moment desires again i could go on and on but let's get back to the to the verse here verse five every word of god is pure he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him i can attest to this i can attest to this when I began to truly read and study the Word of God, which, again, was actually from my own initiative, no one ever shoved the book into my face and said, you must do this through some religious practice or something. I actually don't have that background whatsoever, which I'm actually very pleased about because it would appear, unfortunately, for many people that did grow up in religious institutions that were 
very harmful to them. They don't know the true word of God. What they know is the word of man that is misconstrued and taken out of context and for people to make themselves appear as gods. So unfortunately for those, they've then shied away. They'll actually, I've heard people say they've been studying like for 20 years, this and that. It's like, okay, have you ever read the Bible? No, would never read that. Seriously? So how's your 20 years of uh, research going? What, what, how much closer are you to the truth? Well, we can never really know the truth and there's this and there's that. And you can hear in the person's like thinking that they're still confused and lost. And we've all been there. I'm saying that truly just read it. It will bring you a profound amount of inner peace because it is actually the truth. It satiates you. When you read scripture, it doesn't make you feel like, I've got to learn more. I've got to go down 50 rabbit holes to understand this because that's what evil does, guys. Evil makes you have to continue going down rabbit holes because it's complicated. Everything that's from evil, which is falsehood and not truth, it is always complicated and it's ever-evolving, meaning there's always something new to learn about it, about the thing, the topic, because you can never really know it truly. And it's complicated. There's so many layers. There's so many this. Now you've got to know this. Now you've got that. And it's contradicting itself all the time. All the time. So-and-so said this and this person said this. But that contradicts itself completely. And then you're just more confused. And you're like, oh, well, then it must be completely subjective. Nope, because now you're back to moral relativism. You see? Evil likes to just take people on this never-ending loop. It's like the, the carrot on a stick, chasing the carrot on a stick. But scripture isn't like that. God's word is truth and it's, sati- it's sh- satiating. You're like, oh. And then it, like, it really convicts you. You feel it in the heart and then you have to sit with it. You have to like, sit with it and contemplate and meditate on it for hours. And then it will just, out of nowhere, it will make you feel your conviction. It will make you feel your understanding how ignorant you were, how wrong you were, how immoral you were. And how much God has actually been patient and merciful and suffering with humanity since the beginning of time. And you see your flaws and you see how you've been imperfect and you see how you can't work your way to becoming a perfect person and that you truly need him. You need God to help you in that because he is the perfect being. And the standard for morality comes from him, not from any human being. So where it says... Every word of God is pure and he is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. I can attest to that. I can attest to that. God is my shield and I put my full trust in him. And when I did that, I had such a such a profound inner peace and he truly changed my heart. He truly changed my heart. And I'll cover in another episode when I actually began um, prayer and, and how much that's transformed my life as well. Because I actually never prayed a day in my life until December of last year. So that's actually saying something. <laughs> Verse 6. And thou not unto his, don't add unto his words, lest he reproves you and you be found a liar. And this, the importance of this is that you do not twist scripture. This is what, unfortunately, many false teachers, false prophets, false guides and gurus do 
It's amazing and, and so many people fall for it because it sounds lovely. People take verses of scripture out of context to support their own their own desires, especially if they want to justify an immoral lawful act. So it's saying here, do not do that. Do not twist scripture lest you be found a liar and be reproved, which means that you're corrected. You, God will correct you. Do not do this. Do not lead people astray by misquoting scripture and by making it seem like it's something it's not. Everything needs to be looked at properly in context. You cannot just make one quote and say, yeah, that's what that means. No, it doesn't. You have to know the whole context. And only through truly studying God's word daily can you do that. So be wary of that because there's many, many out there because they they get their fame from it. They make money from it. They get what they want from it by exploiting ignorant people, unfortunately. Okay, so people love to hear good feeling things. And let me tell you, scripture is not a good feeling message. It's not what it's about. It's about justice and love. It's about judgment and mercy and correction. It's about understanding God's character, which is how he sets in place his laws, which is natural law. So understanding what his laws are, the laws of morality, and also understanding how he is merciful and how only with him, only in trust in him, can you actually achieve anything good in your life. You will always be lost without him. That requires a humbleness to understand. And how in a world that's void of God right now, that's why we see utter chaos. Order only comes from God. Chaos comes from Satan. Chaos comes from evil. And I can assure you that demons are real. The satanic demons, the satanic realm, Satan himself, real. Torment people all the time in the mind. If you want to learn more about that, watch my seminar called Guarding the Gates of Your Mind. Um, it's about an hour or so long. It's under my seminars page at livingtraining.com forward slash seminars. But there's a link also in the show notes. And the battle is internal because you're either led by the spirit or you're led by the flesh, your body. And that's a very two very different ways to live. And the fight is where? In the mind, because everything stems first from your thoughts. No one ever does anything without a thought first. They don't just randomly do things. You first have the thought, then comes the action. And this is why when God says in scripture, God knows man's heart and it is wicked, because he doesn't differentiate between thought and action. Because if you're willing to think perverted things, you're willing to do them. But I'll do a whole episode on that. So don't misquote God's word. Don't, you know lead people astray or don't just throw out the entire scripture because you heard a couple of quotes here and there from some false teachers that were trying to promote their own false teachings, trying to make themselves idols instead of actually teaching the word of God. Okay, very important. Verse 7, two things I require of you Deny me them not before I die. This is uh, Solomon asking to God. Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. 
lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain. This is such an important teaching about the humbleness of living in a way that you always have just enough. And I can assure you that that actually is God protecting you. You see, a lot of people think, and also again from false teachers, this prosperity preaching is that God wants you to be rich and famous and live in a mansion and have five cars and, you know, be famous and adored by people. No, that's not what righteousness is. That's not what God has in mind for anybody. You see, God is indeed love. He is love. There is not an ounce of darkness in God. He is love. That is one attribute of his character. It's not all of him. That's one attribute. He has many other attributes, such as he is merciful, such as he is just, he is righteous. He is loving kindness. He is merciful. He has wrath. Okay, so there are various characteristics to him and people will often use the concept of like, well, love is love or love is God is all love. Therefore, meaning anything goes. No, that's not what that means. There are actually things that God detests, that he hates. Not people. God loves humanity. God loves humans. God loves you because he created you. What he hates is the behavior that is lawless that is iniquity that is immoral that is sin because he knows what it does it destroys people it destroys life it destroys it that's why he detests it and wants to uh, guide people away from it that's why he has these laws because he knows what's best his wisdom is infinite So lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? This is like if you have everything you ever wanted in life and more, then you become proud and haughty and you're like, I did this. This is all my workings. And who is this God? Like, it's got nothing to do with God. I did this because I'm so smart. I'm so intelligent. I worked so hard or I achieved all these things. And then you basically, you forget God. So that's not good because... Certainly he will he will bring down the proudful, the prideful. There are many examples of this throughout scripture as well. Many examples. I'll touch on that in future episodes too. It's very um interesting to see because pride is truly one of the first ones that leads people to wickedness in that they make themselves a god. And when you put yourself in that place, you look at yourself like I am God, there's no one better than me. You start to have that self-delusion, that, that, that narcissistic, like again, which comes from the whole concept of narcissist, which actually all stems from the original story of Satan, of Lucifer's fall. But again, I could, again I'm going to have to do that for future episodes because I could go on and on. But all of these things tie together um, in, a, in a powerful way. So when you have too much, when you have an excess, it, it, tends, it makes people corrupt and wicked right? Having millions, that's why I've always said and always teach all of you guys, the goal of life is not to be a millionaire and and famous. Nobody, every time I hear people say, well, when I have lots of money, then I'll help people. No, it doesn't. Like you, you would not imagine, you would not believe. I've known many people and you would not believe the people that have the most, just how stingy and just how uncharitable and selfish they are with their wealth. You would be shocked. (laughs) 
you would be shocked because it's not about whether you have one dollar in your pocket or one million. Character doesn't change. Character doesn't change, my friends. And that's what that means, is that when you, it's, it's a given, basically. If you ever have too much in life and you get to that point of pride that you even forget God, you forget to thank God for your gifts because everything in life that is beautiful, that is good, is for a gift from God because God is goodness. God is goodness. This is very important. So when you deny God, you deny all of God's gifts too. So all of the things that even within yourself are your skills, your talents, your own beauty, your own intelligence, your own abilities. When you deny, like when you have no gratitude to God for giving those things to you because he made you, he knows every single hair on your head and he knitted you in the womb. When you deny him in that sense, then you're also denying all of the gifts he gave you, which is why eternal damnation after death in hell is you being void of God. And people think, well, what does that matter? Like being separate from God. Yes, you're also therefore separate from all of your gifts from God. Means what's left? What's left? Suffering, death, destruction, despair. You see? And then the second part, just as important, or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of my God in vain, which means that you do not represent him properly. To take the name of your God in vain, there's many ways people do this, unfortunately, often so. Um, in you know, Haven't you noticed how people use God's name as a cuss word today? Like it's a popular cultural thing to do. People do it without even thinking, right? They use God's name in vain. They use God as a cuss word, meaning that, you know, you stub your toe or you're angry about something and then you use God's name as a cuss word to express your disgust. What? How horrid is that? Have you ever thought about that? Think about this. Would you ever use your mother's name as a cuss word? Like when you're angry or when you're disgusted, when you want to just... Uh, display disgust would you use your mother's name of course not because you respect her you honor her you love her how much then more so god that gave you a mother that made you it's amazing this is what culture does which is all created by the satanic rulers of the world which is satan you see when you are of god when you when you connect and fully dedicate your life to God, truth, and purpose, you are naturally counterculture. God's laws, God's commandments, God's morality, his way, it's called a narrow path because it's naturally counterculture. It's naturally against what everybody else is doing. And culture is naturally counter God. <laughs> it is literally promoting and applauding all forms of immorality. Limitless immorality. It rewards people that are wicked. It rewards people that are greedy. It rewards people that are evil. You see? It's a perfect inversion from evil. But when, you, when you're born into it, that's why people think like, okay, well, that's just how it goes. But throughout life, then, of course, you learn. And hopefully you're drawn back to God through your experiences and through having an open mind enough to ask the questions 
to get to know the truth. Yeah. So it's also not good to be to a point where you, you know, completely disregard all responsibility in life and that you're poor and that therefore all you care about is your survival. And when you're in survival mode, you're not using your critical thinking, you're just using your survival thinking, which is basically how do I get food on the table and how do I not die? And when you're in that mode of thinking, you're literally like a beast. So when you're like a beast, you're not going to be like a human, which is made in God's image. So you will take the name of God in vain. You will misrepresent his name. So therefore you'll do everything immoral. You'll stab people in the back. You'll steal. You will be evil and wicked just to, just to survive. So that's why Remove far from me vanity and lies. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me. I tell you, I live this way. I've honestly lived this way for pretty much my whole life. And I really, scripture has helped me understand why. And there was a time where um, the world was all around me in the sense that I was um, surrounded by people that were very, very much in higher ranks, if you will, of the satanic world um, back when I was in corporate and, and working in very large multi-billion corporations, I was surrounded by people that were very satanic and the influence was very worldly, very worldly. Uh, and people can do that. They can make it seem like you're, you're the fool and the idiot for wanting to be humble and wanting to be uh, content. And that's the world, guys. That's what the world will do to you. But God, God will always shield you, as it says here. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. So don't, you know, turn away from God. Turn away from your errors. Turn away from your immorality and turn towards him. Because without him, you're never strong enough. Without him, you will be lost. He is your guiding compass. That's what you have a conscience for. It's God's law written on your heart. That's your conscience. Your conscience is your God-given ability to know right from wrong if you haven't suppressed your conscience, which many people have, which is that inkling, that feeling, that knowing that, uh, that was not right. Like what just happened there was not right. Much more than when something is right. Because, you know, the things that you can do that are right, are there's so many of them, guys. It's not about that. Like you, And that's, of course, personal and subjective. And that's beautiful. People can experience good things in life in various ways. But that which is wrong is very clear, it's very distinct, and it doesn't change. That's why when God wrote his laws and gave his commandments and displayed natural law, they are in the negative. They're written in a way like warnings. Because he is, again, a personal being, and the best way to understand your relationship with him is as a child to a father. As in, you're the child and he is your father. The only, like literally, it's still, it's not, it's not a one-on-one -on -one correlation, but it is the closest example we have in a human form to our relationship to God is a parent's relationship to their child. So when a parent has children, that relationship is the relationship we have with God. It is a protecting, loving parent, meaning that, they also correct you. Love corrects. Love shows you your errors. Love does not smother you and, and let you do whatever you think that your heart's desire is when it can literally kill you. That's not loving. 
Think about a, a parent's love towards their child. How many parents would say, I would give my life for my child? Guess what? God would do the same. And he did. That's what the cross is all about. But that's a whole other story for another time. But that relationship is one that is massively helpful if you're struggling with understanding what does it mean to have a direct relationship with God. Well, hopefully this lesson is teaching you a little bit of understanding that first of all, because he is a personal being, he's not an it, and he is a literal heavenly father to you. You are the child. And just like King Solomon presented himself to God, when he could have presented himself as almighty and whatever else as a king, but he said, I am but a child. Please give me wisdom to know how to discern right from wrong. And God did even more than that. And here we are still today, 3,000 years later, his word, King Solomon's words in the book of Proverbs is some of the most profound wisdom you will ever find. And I just read you a couple of verses today. The rest of it was my commentary, right? It's my uh, way of teaching it but of course um, the verses themselves are from there and that's just a few verses and a few sentences and, and my way of teaching so if you resonate with my way of teaching then wonderful I hope this helps somebody out there to understand the importance of you connecting directly to God reading scripture daily and learning from the ultimate wisdom there's no amount of research or anything else that you can do that is higher than, truer than, and wiser than God himself, our Father, the one true God. With that, I close this episode. I hope you enjoyed that. If you'd like to learn the three Ds of the devil's deception and how to live with integrity and character, you can take my seminar called Building Integrity and Character in Service to God, Truth and Purpose. It's about six hours. It's a full-day seminar. So it's just like you would have come to a full-day workshop with me, but it's online recorded with exercises and slides and all. And you can take that and it will be sent directly to your inbox and you can watch it in your own time. Um, you can purchase that directly from my website, liveintraining.com. That would be under forward slash self-actualization. Again, though, that all the links are in the show notes. So for now, I hope that's helped you. Until next time.